All right, grab open your booklet, and we're going to find our way to session four. And while you're doing that, open your Bible to Daniel chapter six. And we're going to be visiting one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. If you ever come across a children's Bible and for whatever reason, in their selection of what to include in that, because you know they don't they don't put everything in children's Bible. Uh, they, they don't put stories about people's uh, big toes being cut off, right, Jack Collins? Um, and if you don't find there Daniel and the Lion's Den, just throw it across the room because it's 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 worthless, right? Uh, this is this is one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture, but this is more than just a tale about Daniel's night locked in the zoo. Um, there's so much here that I think is going to help us and help us as we, we think about resistance, uh, resistance in, 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 the, in the places of significance, in defining moments, and resistance every day where you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and God makes you into the kind of person that he's called you to be. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit of this and then jump in. So Start chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius. Right? Darius is, he's called Darius the Mede. Um, so Babylon is done. And this, this new empire, the, the Medo-Persians have stepped in and they have, they have conquered this territory. So one kingdom has passed away. And there's a, a, a new human power that's on the scene but Daniel is still in the house, right? Please, Darius, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom. A satrap is kind of this regional official. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. So of the top three people in this kingdom, Daniel is one of them, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. So he's the number two guy at this point. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition, makes prayer to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed 
the document and the injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. What do you think about some of the people that you admire and that you look up to in, in different categories? Maybe it's in their, their walk with God, it's, it's someone in the church, someone in a place of leadership, maybe it's somebody that has a family, um, who they are as a, as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, you kind of look up to them and some of those qualities, you, you, you want to be that kind of person in your future. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's an athlete or an artist or somebody who's in the, the fitness world or, or a musician. And, and, and there's certain qualities, certain abilities about them that, that are attractive to you. And you, and you, and you want to have that kind of skill. You want to come to that place of influence. You want to grow in those kinds of abilities. You know, often we, we just kind of focus on where they've arrived and we want to just leap to be where they're at. You know, that, that's, that's who I want to be. That, that, that's the kind of ability that I want to have. But here's a question I, I want to give you to actually sit down and ask these people if you can, or if it's somebody that's, you know, famous and you're not going to get a conversation with them. Find out a way to learn this about them. What were they doing when they were your age? Because there's, there's a lot of talk about what they're accomplishing right now. But what were they doing when they were 13, when they were 14 or 18 or finishing up high school, entering into college. If it's somebody that you can sit down and ask them that, I really encourage you to do that because it's, so often we, we want the outcome, but we don't want the process. We want to arrive, but we don't want the experiences that often shape somebody to become that kind of person. And, and this gets more and more challenging in the world of social media and YouTube and and you kind of get the highlight reel. You, you, you kind of get them at their, their place of success. I mean, they're, they're, I don't know what your category is. Uh, I follow different uh, guitar players on, on Instagram just because I'm trying to grow in my ability there and pick that up again as a, as a hobby. So I follow different uh, electric guitar players and, and just some people with some amazing skill. Maybe there's somebody like that that you, you, you follow. Uh, but it's just so easy to, to watch the video clip and turn around and think, oh, I can't do that. I would never do that. Or I wish I had that, that kind of skill right now. And not realize that before that ever showed up on film, uh, before that ever got published, there were hours and hours of practice that brought them to be able to have that kind of ability. In fact, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he has this rule. And he says, for, for people that are experts in different fields kind of the top talent in, in a variety of categories, typically behind that are 10,000 hours of practice to bring them to have that kind of expertise, that kind of ability. But none of us want that, right? We, that, that sounds slow, it sounds ordinary, it sounds boring, nobody's watching while you're messing up, while you're working through something. We, we just want to have the... The outcome, but, but what's helpful for us, we, we, we find this in God's word, is that we don't just get principles, right? We, we don't just get teaching about the kind of people that we should be. 
God gives us examples. God gives us storylines. And, and, and characters like Daniel are really helpful because you, you get to trace with him when he's really young and when he's really old and what God used along the way to make him be the kind of man that he became. Right? We, we sang just a moment ago about Jesus, oh, to be like you. And, and when, I read, when I read Jesus in the Gospels and I see the way that he interacted with people, and I see his heart, and I see his responses. I've, I, I, I've, got, I've got two reactions to that. One, I'm so grateful he's my savior. I'm so grateful that it's his life and it's his record that God accounts as mine, and that when he sees me, he sees Jesus. And then I also think, I wanna be like you. I wanna treat people in this way. I wanna have this kind of reality in me. And in a, in a lesser way, we read Daniel's story. You know, this isn't the only thing we should come away thinking, but we should think, I want to be like you. And, we, and we, we come to him, and he's about age 90 at this point. So when, when he ends up being fed to the lions, he is an old man. And there's a lesson in that, because just because you've taken a stand and you've been faithful when you were really young doesn't mean, okay, all the battles are done and you get to kind of just coast into the rest of your life. It is a fight for resistance all the way to the end until your last breath when there's no more resistance that's needed. But everything before that is a battleground. And Daniel has that kind of clarity, and he sees that. It's, it's amazing that the life of integrity that this man lives. He is, one commentator said that Daniel chapter 6 actually begins with a miracle. You have a squeaky clean politician, <laughs> right? So right from the start, that's what you find out about Daniel. He's in a place of power. He's a politician, and yet there's no fault that they can find with him. And they hire the CIA, right? They take on MI6, anything. They take out spies. They comb through Daniel's internet history. They read his emails, right? They do background checks on this dude, and they cannot come up with a single thing, a single reason that they can file as a complaint against him. What is, what is integrity? One way you could define integrity, the word integrity means wholeness. If you're integral, there's just one thing there. It's not divided. It's not separated into different versions and different compartments. Integrity is just you're the same person all the time. You're the same person in public and you're the same person in private. You're the same person when all the eyes are on you and when... No one is looking. And, and, and that is something that you, you, you can't manufacture. Right? In, in, a, in a world where everything is public and everything is published in a, in a way, remember the, the, the girl last night? You know, I took 50 versions of this selfie and then I edited it in three different apps before it landed in public and I knew just the right pose, all right? So, so all of that, that's not, that's not reality, right? That's the mirage. But, but, but integrity is take away all the filters. Take away everything that you can to put on a front 
and put on a show. And who are you really? And listen, the, the, the person that you are when nobody's looking is the person you really are. And where does that come from? For, for Daniel, one of the main ways that came for him was a life of prayer. Prayer, prayer is something you do in private. Right? Other than when we gather together and we do public times of prayer and, and people are praying out, for the most part, no one else knows if you really have a prayer life. People don't, don't know. What, what, how, how much time do you spend in prayer? Is that something that you kind of, you pick up once a month, once a week, for a few days after a youth camp, you're reminded I'm supposed to really be about this, three minutes a day, scattered thought, kind of just God help me with this test or make these people like me, right? What, what does prayer look like? That, that is the most personal and private aspect of your spiritual life and honestly of your life. Because it's just you and an invisible God and he's the only one paying attention. And if you want a life of integrity, you need a life of prayer. You, you need a life that, that's content to respond to God and be available to him when nothing is published. And that gripped Daniel, and that's what led him to, to be able to face with resistance the forces that he, he faced here. Right? There, there's, there's a kind of person that you can become only through prayer. Right, there's, there's a few different features of this storyline here. I've, I've titled them here, Demanded Attention and Defiant Prayer, Daily Practice, and Delivered Servant. And the, the first one, you, you see there is a demand for attention. And this is a theme that's come up a good bit this week because Again, it's just a concern for me, for you, and, and, and for myself. The amount of demand that is on your attention, the, the distractions that are in this world, the constant things that are pulling for you to, to, to look at it and to, to, to spend your time pursuing it, and all the opportunities that are available to you, there's just so much asking for you to give something of yourself to it. And that's in this story as well, right? These, this group of officials that they're, they're jealous of Daniel. They, they don't like the position of power that he has. They don't like the fact that he always does everything right. Maybe he had, you know, opposed some of their plans in ways that they were trying to rip off the king or rip off the people. And he was a man of integrity. And, and listen, when you're a person of integrity, you will be hated by people. You will be hated by the, the crowd and, and the, the people that are going with the flow and content to do that. And you say, no, we're not going to do that. No, nah, no, nah, that, that wouldn't be honest, right? That, that makes you a target when you do that. And, and that's the case for, for Daniel. But, but, but you see some of the forces of pressure that are in uh, this text. And, 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 it, and it relates a little bit to some of the, the vocabulary of idolatry that Pastor Keith 
uh, took us through. Only the image that's, that's set up is a little different. But you have a crowd, you have, you have a gathering point, and they, and they come to the king, and, and, and they, they use flattery. They kind of uh, appeal to his ego. Like, wouldn't it be nice if for 30 days all eyes were on you? Right? Even people's religious life, they, they wouldn't be able to make any request. I don't know if that meant you're like, you can't say, can I go to the bathroom without asking the king? Uh, but and there are no petitions that can come to any other man or any other God besides the king. And, and, and that's not about him. They've got their own agenda. They've got their own jealousy and, and attempts toward violence that's roaming around in their heart that's leading them to make this kind of presentation. And so be discerning. This is a, this is a world that um, I, I would say, you know, just, just following along with the way that a lot of people post on social media, especially younger generation. Uh, my generation, the millennials tend to be kind of really cranky and, and whiny about a lot of stuff. Um, Generation Z, what you guys are a part of, by and large, that doesn't tend to be the tone. It tends to be really supportive and celebratory and, you know, the kind of the comments that you find under people's uh, posts and images, or they, they, they seem encouraging. Sometimes they get a little obnoxious, like, oh my gosh, I would kill somebody in order to have your hair. Uh, it's like, that's a little weird of a response. Uh, pay attention to what's happening there because it's, it's a bit of a game. It, it's kind of like, if I flatter you, if I, if I do something for you, will, you, will you, you get me back? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I like your stuff. I like your recent, you like mine, right? Uh, there's a game that's involved here. And, and these guys know how to play that. And so they appeal to flattery. They appeal to popularity. Right? They, they, they say, everybody agrees Everybody in charge thinks, this is a good idea, man. And so we've got it pre-written. We just need your signature here, O king. I doubt Daniel was consulted on this ordinance. Uh, so they're just lying. So often, by the way, here's just a life lesson. If somebody says, everybody's saying, typically that means I'm saying, right? If somebody comes to you and they're making a case that uh, everybody feels a certain way about it or the whole crowd thinks this or they don't want to do that anymore, I've had, I've had to learn how to manage this as a leader because typically when somebody comes to me presenting the group's opinion, that means them and their best friend feel that way. That doesn't mean everybody feels that way. But that's the case that they make here. And, 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 and what this decision, what, what this edict does is it sets up Darius the Mede to become Darius the Mediator. Oh, what's a mediator? A mediator is someone who gives you access, access to God. First Timothy 2.5, there's, there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The, the one who brings us access to the presence of God is the man, Christ Jesus. But, but here, Darius is being, he's kind of the point of reference. You want, you want to talk to God, you come to me. It's not being said that he's God. He does not go in quite that far. But, but he's the one who provides the access, 
that you need. He's the one that provides for you the kind of insight and the kind of power. And that's why people talk to the gods, right? They, they, they want control over their circumstance. They want help. They want a sense that things are okay, that everything is in order and in place in my life. And so they check their access. They talk with their mediator to be able to get the favor of the gods or of God because they recognize there's, there's something beyond my abilities. There's some mysterious force out there that I need. And if I can get that through Darius or through someone else, then I'll make use of that. Right? We, we, we might not find Darius the Mede very impressive, but we have our own false mediators. A variety of things that we think will give us access, access to the kind of information and insight and a sense of belonging and inclusion and power that we feel we need. And so we go to them again and again and again. I don't know if that's the phone for you, a device, it could be something else. But the, the, the things that you tend to compulsively return to, why do you do that, right? Somebody said the other day, well, I'm bored. And, and I told them, boredom is, is not an explanation. Boredom is just telling us the condition, right? If, if, if I ask, you know, if you were to say something like, there's weather outside, that doesn't tell you anything. Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it raining? Is it, there's weather. Uh, saying I'm bored kind of does that. It, it doesn't explain anything. It doesn't tell you why you're doing what you're doing. It's just saying that's the context. That, that's what created the opportunity. But just because you're, you're, you're bored doesn't mean you go boil a pot of spaghetti, right? You, you didn't do that. It's not like I'm just doing anything because I'm bored. Well, there, there, there was some kind of interest, there was some kind of belief that you felt that would provide for you, and that's why you went to it. And boredom was just what created the opportunity for it. And so often, what we feel our phones will provide is this kind of access to the mysterious forces of life, right? Look at this quote from Trevin Wax. He says, the myth of the smartphone is that in our hands we have all we need to gain knowledge. The phone becomes the seller and content becomes the drug. The phone beeps and vibrates and reminds us that we need the fix it offers so we can reach new highs in knowledge. It says, hey, I've got knowledge. Come over and get more bookmarks. Become more culturally savvy. Stay tuned into online conversations. What the phone does, does not give you is wisdom. That's the kind of skilled living in the world that requires thought, contemplation, soaking in the scriptures, not just scrolling through a timeline. The phone offers knowledge but it's not the kind of knowledge we need most. And listen, we know this. That's why we check it so many times. That's why you pulled it out and then you put it away and then 30 seconds later, it's in your hands once again. Because whatever you thought it would give you last time didn't arrive 
and that craving is still there. And so if I can refresh the feed one more time, maybe that will give it to me. If I could just play one more video. This, there's just mystery to this. It's, 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 a, it's a weird way to interact with information. And, and every, every different stage of the information age has created its challenges. It's, it, it's created a lot of ability and a lot of good, but unique challenges. And, and it's like, you, you, you can't pull this thing out to check the weather without watching five different YouTube videos. That's just, it's, it's got this weird, mysterious effect. And, and it, it appeals a bit to our fears. I don't know if anybody uses the acronym FOMO anymore for fear of missing out. But often that, that's in us, right? We, we, we think that there's, there's some kind of conversation, there's some, something that's viral, there's some kind of social interaction out there that I will be excluded from unless I access the mediator to bring me to that. And Daniel here, these are not the kinds of things that sway him. Remember his name? God is my judge. Not what's trending, not what's viral, not people's like or affirmation or approval. My life answers to God. And so they say about him in verse 13 of this passage, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. That is a statement right there. It's, it's almost as if he doesn't even notice. It looks like he's totally unaware what everybody is talking about and, and, and frenzied about right now. And he knows, it says he read the edict, but from everything that's outwardly observable, it seems like he pays no attention to these forces. And he was friends with Darius. He had a lot of favor with him. But, but, but he, he did not bank his hope on human approval or human favor, which comes and goes. And his, his attention, he did, not, he did not give his attention to the demands that were placed on it. And, and it's interesting that the very thing that they use to try to get him is his prayer life. They knew, that, that's a thing that he's not gonna waver on. That's what he's not gonna weasel out of. You wanna, you wanna catch him? You gotta make a law outlawing him praying to his God because he is not going to be deterred. And, and look at his response here. This, this, this defiant prayer. And they, they set up a time limit for only 30 days. Apparently they didn't think it would take any longer than that for him to disobey this edict. And it happens right away. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber and opened them toward Jerusalem. Now, can anybody tell me Where's the Bible verse that tells you you have to pray every single day? Can you tell me the Bible verse that says you have to pray three times a day? 
Can you tell me the Bible verse that says when you pray, you've got to open up your windows and face Jerusalem? Wait, th- th- there's no specific command for what Daniel's doing here. In, in one sense, he didn't have to go about this this way. Right? Uh, he could have prayed in his head quietly, privately, which, by the way, most people didn't back then. And I'll, I'll make a case for you when I'm talking practically because the, 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 when most people read, the whole, the whole thought of you just kind of read quietly in your head back in these days, they didn't do that. They, all, they were always reading out loud and they were always praying out loud. And uh, I think there's, there's benefit in that. But there are, way, there, there are other ways that Daniel could have still been faithful in one sense, not prayed to King Darius, Maybe he could have taken a little time out of prayer for 30 days, right? There are other options he could, have, he could have pursued. And yet he chooses to do, he chooses to disobey this order in the most defiant way possible. Right? This is a statement. This is intentional. This is resistance that he shows. This is a bit of idol-busting activity right here. Because what, what this edict threatened was the first commandment. Because God alone being the one, having our hope, having our attention, the one who provides for everything that we need and therefore the, 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 the object of our of our prayers. That's all about him being God. And, and, and he knows that what this edict does, it, it threatens the first commandment. And so he, he's, he's breaking down idols by choosing to pray in this defiant way. But, but ultimately, the idol that Daniel lays down in this moment is himself his own preservation because he knows the risks that are involved here. Look, look at this thought from John Piper. It says, this must mean that prayer is more important than life. Daniel would rather pray than save his life. Listen, not praying was a worse prospect to Daniel than being eaten by lions. That is a radical commitment to prayer. Just think of it. Can you say with Daniel, you will have to take my life before you can take my prayer. Nothing pulled this man away from getting with his God. There was such convincing. There there was such a heart to know him. There was God's proven faithfulness over 90 years of his life. When he comes to a point of saying, you can take my life, but you don't don't get to take my prayer. It's often much smaller deterrence that that we give into. (laughs) So often, it's not that people 
are coming up to us holding up a gun and saying, you better not pray. <laughs> it doesn't take that, right? It just, it just takes, oh, it's kind of hard. I get, I get a little confused. I, I don't really know what to say or I'm really busy. Right? These are the things that often we give in to the demands. But what I think helped Daniel in, in this moment was a daily practice over 90 years of his life. And here's where I want us to see what is it in the ordinary, boring places where nobody's filming that makes you the kind of person that you are? Look at, look at what it says, verse 10. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done Previously, it's just the next day for Daniel. Right? There's this new law on the land, but nothing has changed. Monday has arrived, and he gets down on his knees three times looking toward Jerusalem because that's what he does again and again and again whether or not there's an edict that's made it illegal. Look at this thought from Ronald Wallace. He says, There's no doubt that what kept Daniel when his trial came was this rigid, uninterrupted habit. He had disciplined himself to it day by day for years, and at the hour of crisis, the very momentum of the custom itself would have been enough to keep him faithful to it, even if there had been, at the moment, no living inspirational incentive. I think he's overstating that a little bit. I think there's more than just momentum that's happening right here. Uh, but I think that's a lot to it. Right? This, this is such well-worn pathways for Daniel. He's walked down this road again and again and again. He could do it in his sleep. It's that kind of pathway to him, right? This is so familiar. Which means when, when that threshold got raised in this moment, right? There was, there was so much internally that Daniel had already overcome just through a day-by-day -day experience with God. He had fought against his flesh he had fought against all the forces that take you and I away from prayer. You, you do not want to be figuring out how to have a conversation with God when the moment of crisis arrives. So many people are unprepared for that. They're unprepared for the disappointments that they face. They're unprepared for the suffering that they will walk through. They're unprepared for, for, for these kinds of times when, when there's a real challenge to faith, to faith and, and it's a decisive moment, where are you going to stand? Where's your allegiance going to go? Right? You, you can't figure out how to talk to God when that time arrives. There, there needs to be a pathway for you to travel that's, that's familiar, that, that, that even, in the, even in the time of struggle, even in the time we're just trying to figure out life feels like it's in the ruins right now. You don't want to have to be wandering through tall grass that you've never walked. Let that be the first time 
You're pouring out your soul to God. This had become a pathway for Daniel. He developed it as a consistent practice in the ordinary places of life. He'd done it since he was a teenager. He'd done it from his youth. It, it had almost become part of the muscle memory of his soul. We, we were doing, back at Lake, we were doing something called the Summer Bible Jam and we gathered together in some small groups and talked through some things that we're reading together in, in Scripture. And, and Rebecca and I were, were meeting with uh, Taylor and Abby, and Taylor was leading the discussion there. And, and he asked a, a question about um, just times of anxiety, time, times of need that we, we face. What are, what are the things that we turn to, that we look to? And, and, and I said that often I, I, I don't look to God instinctively. Right, that's just not my, not my kind of just knee-jerk response. I, I run to my anxieties. I run to the things. I, I run to my own attempts to solve the problem that I'm facing and to worry about it. And no matter how many times worry has not brought me anything good in life, I, I just have blind trust for it once again. And so it's, it, it's not just this like automatic thing that God becomes my refuge when need arrives in my life. I said, I, I need a pathway. I need to actually go to God in prayer. I, I, need, I need there to be something that deepens and works truth in my heart. I, I, need, I need to actively say some things that I, I've got somewhere in my head about God, but they're not affecting me right now. They're not influencing the way that I see my circumstances, and that doesn't just happen. You don't just automatically retrieve that fact that you know about God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness and His superior worth when temptation comes. You, you need some path you can walk down to access those truths. And meditating on God's Word and prayer again and again, provide that for you. So I, I know that even if there's some, some kind of unrest in my soul, my prayer time's coming. And God's gonna do work. Right? That, that can just seem so ordinary. That, that this, there's nothing that's super special or spiritual about that. But time over time, you find you arrive, you're 90 years old and you're a person of integrity because you have spent thousands of hours practicing. Thousands of hours content to be alone with God. Solitude, silence, when no one's watching and you find you're a person of integrity when the moment arrives where you really need it. That's what had been built in Daniel along the way. These, these regular routine experiences, that, that's what provided the opportunity when, when spontaneous revelation broke in, when God was doing the miraculous, and when God was allowing him to be faithful when everything was on the line. I think there's a, a few other things just from Daniel's prayer life that would be 
um, helpful for us to pay attention to. Obviously, there's some kind of schedule to it. You know, for him, that was three times a day. I don't think that's a mandate that we all have to follow. But that there needs to be something that's consistent. There's something that uh, you're not always trying to guess when and where am I going to pray. He had a place and he had a time. And it was a pathway for him. And so you need those things. You need, you need a time that's, that's regular because you're, you're not going to, again, you're not going to just drift toward these things. The, the wave of busyness and distraction will push you down. You will drift away from them in a moment if, if, if there's not some kind of plan that you have. Where are you going to be praying? When are you going to be praying? And, and, and Daniel was a man that, he was immersed in public life. He, he's, he is the, the second most influential guy in the Persian Empire. You think he was busy? You think there were people coming to him with needs and questions and stuff, you know, fires that needed to be put out and documents that he needed to read and sign off on? This dude interacted with a lot more than you and I probably ever will in our life. And somehow... That didn't deter three times a day being his practice. There's a few other things to notice here. He's, he's praying toward Jerusalem. He's, he's, he's praying toward the temple, the, the, the place of God's presence. And for us in, the, in, the, in times of the New Testament, that, that would ultimately be Jesus as the, as the fulfillment of the temple. Right? Jesus is the mediator. He, he's the one. And, and it's very intentional, right? Darius is supposed to be his mediator, and he turns toward Jerusalem and the temple and, and the access that God has ordained as the way to get to him. And, and, and for us, that, that's, that's our Savior, right? And so uh, our, our attention ought to be on, on him specifically as we pray and as we bring our soul before him, but he, but he's also he's got concern for the people of God. So he's praying for needs beyond himself. It it doesn't sound like right here, and it would not be wrong, and I'm sure this is included. But what is highlighted in this passage isn't oh God, change the king's heart. Oh God, make sure I don't get fed to lions. That would not be wrong. In fact, I would recommend praying for those things in these kinds of moments. But what the narrator chooses to highlight is that his heart is for God's people and their needs. God, restore Jerusalem. Or it's in rubble. When are you going to bring your people back to your place of promise? So who, who, are the, who are the people that are in your life, in your world, that God is calling you to have a burden for in prayer? Beyond just your immediate circle of God really make this girl like me or this, this, this guy give me the time of day. Right? Those are the things that are really easy to pray about that, that benefit us immediately. But you're part of a church. You're part of a community. You, you have extended family members. You are in a world where God has a kingdom agenda. Jesus, Jesus taught us to pray, 
let your kingdom come, let your will be done, you realize that one of the, one of the unique callings that we have as the people of God is to be intercessors in a broken world. This is, this is one of the benefits of prayer. It, it, it gets you stop being so self-focused. We just have this little myopic world of need and the things that the whole world's falling apart because this hasn't arrived in the way that I hoped. And there's so much of a larger purpose about the, the advancement of the gospel around the world. And nations that do not know the name of Jesus. You realize that God calls us to pray about these things? To pray about situations of, of brokenness and evil that need his intervention? I mean, I, I've got, I've got a, a category of prayer that, that I just kind of mix into my regular time of things that it's kind of called global issues of concern and crisis. Stuff happening around the world. Issues like abortion, human trafficking. One of the reasons why prayer doesn't feel like an adventure for us and it gets a little boring is because we, 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 we have a list of about three things that have everything to do with us. And you will get tired of talking about that and praying for that. You broaden the horizon, you allow prayer to be an adventure, and you pray about the things that God has called us to cry out to Him concerning. We get an example of Daniel's prayer life in chapter 9 of Daniel. I just want you to turn there, and we're going to visit there quickly. Chapter 9, this is, a, this is happening a little bit before the event in chapter 6, actually. So even though this comes later in the book, it's something that happened earlier. But it gives you insight into the kind of prayers that Daniel prayed. The first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And we talked about those 70 years of exile. So Jeremiah is the, is the prophet who explains, look, every seven years you haven't let the land rest. And I've, so I've picked up one here, I've picked up one here, and I've collected 70 of them together. And so you're going to be out of that land and then you're going to be able to return. But notice what, what he's doing here. He's reading the Bible. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. He's, he's meditating on it. He's giving consideration to what does this mean? What does this mean for us right now in our time? Not just in Jeremiah's time, but for the people of God and where we are and for the, the, the particular needs that we are facing today. What does Jeremiah have to do with that? And, and, and God's word, this, this is a prayer manual for us. We actually have a, a book of prayers in, in, in the Psalms that if, you, if you're ever struggling for something to say or a way to pray, just open up to one of the Psalms and, and you just speak them out 
to the Lord and, and, and you give consideration, what, what exactly is this stating about what it means to have a heart for the Lord? What does it mean for God to be my shepherd? Lord, would, 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 would you shepherd me? Would you cause me to have no other want because I'm satisfied in you? You are my delight. And so I can end the search for something else to provide that for me. What am I doing? I'm just taking Psalm 23 and I'm meditating on it. I'm allowing those words to, to shape and to become my prayers toward the Lord, right? You, you don't have to invent this. God's shown us what he's like. He's revealed himself to us and, and his word becomes our words when we pray. And so as he's reading Jeremiah, he then responds, verse three, I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and your rules. All right, so notice what he does there. He, he starts by bringing his attention to, to God and his character and his attributes, his awesome greatness, his proven faithfulness, his covenant that we are a part of. And then he turns to, to a place of confession. He's just owning He's owning sin. And, and, and he's owning some things that I, I, don't, I don't know that Daniel was personally guilty of these. But he's, he's confessing on, part, on a part of God's people. It's like, we have drifted. We have fallen away from what you have called us to. And he is taking ownership of that. And he's just bringing that to God. Right? Right, just those two steps right there. Beginning with a, a, a focus on God and just speaking back to him. What is he like? What's his character? What do you know about him? And, and what, as the Holy Spirit has convicted you, what is he helping you to see about yourself? You just speak that to him. If you're familiar with the outline for prayer, uh, it's spelled ACTS, A-C-T-S. This is adoration and this is confession that Daniel does here. And you're gonna see thanksgiving and supplication in this as well, right? Uh, something about God's excellence and his worth, about our failures and, and just need for his forgiveness. And in that, you're, you're clinging to Jesus. He's the one who's, who's, who's cleansing every prayer and making it pleasing to God. Here, here's why I'm so grateful that Jesus is my mediator and not Darius the Mede is because in my wandering thoughts, in my faithlessness, in my mixed motives, in the things about myself that I can't even see, and in the sin, in the sin that I confess and bring to him, Jesus collects all that together and he cleanses it. And he brings it to God and it's a pleasing aroma to God the Father. And God then rewards me. I mean, this, is, this is just ridiculous. But this is how God promises. He promises. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. 
It says, go in secret, go in the private places and pray. And your father who sees when no one else is looking and he sees, he will reward you. But he will reward you for the very things that his grace enables in you and that you come with all of your weakness and your imperfection and your inability and, and, and Jesus has to perfect it and bring it to God and grant you access. God still says, well done, I'm going to reward you in all eternity. The thousands of hours spent in prayer will not be wasted. Every single one of them gets his attention and will receive his reward. Because as Daniel appeals to here, even in our biggest blow-it failure moments, he's a God of mercy and he's a God of covenant faithfulness. And Daniel banked his very life on that faithfulness. Keith, if you'd come back up, man. You guys know how this story ends. Right, he is placed in the den of lions and uh, these beasts are very hungry. They, they were set aside exactly for these kinds of purposes. And, and, they, and they close him up and they seal it with wax. One of the ways to do that is to, is to make sure that it, it's undisturbed throughout the night. And so they, they, they put wax over the enclosure and they have the, the king with his seal press on it so that they would know if this wax was broken, somebody showed up and messed with this in the middle of the night. But this is also something that they would do with, with grave sites in these days. They would seal up a tomb, cover it with wax, and it's like they are giving him over to his burial and to his grave. And from everything that's observable on the outside, it's, it looks like this dude is done. Listen, Daniel's life would not have been wasted if that were the end of the story. That's not how he would have felt about it. He would have known it was all worth it. But God chooses to, to bring that deliverance not just in the world to come, but right in the middle of this story as well. And, 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 and this is a good story because you track along with Darius and not with Daniel. And so he's up all night. He's kind of worried about how he's going to be able to intervene for his friend. But he shows up and then verse 20, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, whom you have served faithfully for 90 years of your life, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me 
because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. And so then verse 26, Darius says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He's not like the counterfeits and the pretenders. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. There might be these enemy occupants. There might be these forces that have come in and they look like they are in charge. They look like they are the ones who hold all the power. And so you better get in line. You better give in for your life. God's kingdom endures forever. things that so easily sway us often they come and they go and you can't even remember what captured you so much a couple years ago what it was that had you so worried and feeling like you you need to go along with that program otherwise everything's going to fall apart you can't even remember some of that but what stays the same is the kingdom of God who not only brought Daniel from his grave but raised Jesus from his tomb and he is our living savior and our living king and he he is worth our attention and our resistance resistance of forces around us the resistance from the stuff inside of us that pulls us away from him wants us to settle down wants life to be easy doesn't want to fight he's the captain of our souls and he is worth our faithfulness to the end and so here's what we're going to do we're going to stand together and we are going to just sing celebrate Christ celebrate the work that God has done in us this week and allow God to send us forth for these crisis moments and these daily places where we are to pursue Him with joy. There is no other so sure and steady my hope is held in your hand when castles crumble and breath is fleeting upon this 